to read God's word together. We'll be in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and then Acts 2, 42 through 47. Ephesians 4, unity and maturity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Uh, now we will turn to Acts 2, 42 through 47. The Fellowship of the Believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you, Eric and Alex. What a blessing you are to your church family. And we now, for our four, the fourth week in a row, turn our attention to this mammoth question of what is the church. That it'd be a real shame, actually, if the Lord has uh, put us in this time, in this place, and in, in his earth with all that's happening, and we would really miss the fundamental purpose of uh, the church family. So to give you an idea, I don't mean to, to pick on this kind of thing, but I'll just show you uh, why I think a lot of uh, American evangelicalism is confused uh, about what the church is. So I'm driving uh, the other day, big church in our area, and they've got a sign out on the front lawn that says the name of the church, and then it says this. It says, we're open. Now you think it's, it's a very friendly thing to do. We've been through a pandemic. We're used to having, uh, you know, a lot of things disrupted. But think about what that little message is communicating. It's communicating, firstly, that there was a time when the church was closed. It's also 
uh, feeding into, I think, how many people think of the church, that it's the, the place that I go on Sundays uh, for the lecture. Um, it's an eight to five kind of thing, just like most of what we're used to, um, that it can be disrupted. And what I'm trying to, to show us here over these weeks is that the church is not uh, a, a seminar. It's, it's not just this 60 minute a week thing, but really think of the church as the, the movement of God's people on mission. It's God's called out covenant community in a time and a place doing the work that he's given us to do. So the church can't, can't be closed, if you will. Uh, the church is God's people, right? The, the blood-bought people of God, bought by the blood of Christ, who are assembled in a time and a place by his sovereignty to build each other up and to do his mission. Now, the best way to think about then the mission, the church, again, not as institution, but church as movement doing what God wants us to do. If I could just make it as simple as possible, we're all used to uh, mission statements that are way too wordy. You take just the thread of all of Scripture. Wh why do the people of God gather? Why, why do, what, what is the movement about? It's about building up those who are Christians. Those who surrender to God on his terms. Is, I'm a sinner, and I need Christ, and I think Christ is king that you grow in that knowledge and relationship with Christ, that God's given us the gift of one another so that we build each other up in that truth, right? This great passage on Ephesians 4. Say, no, I do believe that there's more to the Bible than Ephesians 4, but we're hitting it hard because you get a clear indication of the mission of the church, that we're building each other up in love and to maturity in Christ. So when we come to know Jesus, God's given us the gift of other Christians to mature us along our way. We call this edification. So you have E squared. That's how I, if I hadn't said that yet, E squared. Edification, another word for building up other Christians. The second E is evangelism. That God's people, God's people have always been called to be a light to the nation. So when we scatter from this place, we're no uh, really less the church, right? We're still the covenant people of God in this time in this place. But when we go out into the world to our various spheres of influence, we show the non-believing world what it's like to have Jesus as king. Say, if Jesus is our king and we're in the kingdom of God, we go out into the non-believing world, say, well, we conduct our affairs knowing that Jesus is king. So we're like, well, those people are very kind. Those people seem to understand grace. Those ha people have a purpose that can't be taken away by circumstances, right? Because our allegiance is to King Jesus, and as we operate responsibly and with excellence in our different spheres, by God's grace and by his spirit, that he will grow his movement. You say always, you read Acts, and you notice it's always passive, and, and uh, their numbers were added to. It's always passive, and God added, you know, God's always the actor in how multiplication happens. So what, again, what's the mission of the church? If you had to say, what are we doing? We're building up one another in Christ, if you're converted, to full maturity, as Paul would have it. We say we never quite arrive. We're building each other up, and we're on mission to tell the non-believing world to bear witness by our actions and our words what it's like to have Jesus as king. That's the mission. Now, what we've been doing, really, beyond that, is what we could call behavioralizing the mission. So the church, wonderfully, uh, has been in a lot of times, in a lot of places, in a lot of contexts, right? Started in the ancient Near East uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, you know, of course, the, the covenant people of God, Israel, and even longer ago. So it's not so much we, we can think through behavioralizing the mission in our context. And to do that, uh, say we have something here we call the six pillars. It's very simple. I, that's why I like it so much. It's very simple, but I hope very practical, and when practiced, very rich. 
And so we started with the foundation of the pillars. What we say is repentance. You remember I talked about this. Say repentance is so powerful because it's really a, in one word, I think a, 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 an indication of the entire gospel because what repentance is about is about turning away from the world and the evil impulses in me towards Jesus. That all these instructions to the church in Ephesians 4 are predicated on the fact that the members of the church actually are committed to Jesus. In other words, we've recognized that we're great sinners and he's a great savior. And say that's not just a one-time thing. Well, I made that, you know, I made that understanding back at the crusade in the 90s. Say, that's one thing. But every single day to say, you know what? My sin is very serious business. That I've come into the world looking out for myself. That given the opportunity in my flesh, I'm going to take care of me way more than I take care of all of you, and that includes my wife. That I don't want to be accountable to God. I certainly don't want to be accountable and surrender to Jesus the Nazarene. Quite frankly, I think, I hope, I pray, I have about 80 years to do whatever I want to do and to feel good and make merry. Say, that's really what I want to do. However, I realize this dark path that I'm on, say we're convicted of that sin to say there is a maker and I'm on my way to destruction. And God in his kindness put forth Jesus the one pure man, right? His eternal son put him forth in history, right? On exhibition for all of us to see in God's word, right? Putting it before us. Say, do we agree with God on that truth? I'm a great sinner, but there's a great savior. And I turn towards him and I need him and I need him every day. If we don't understand that truth, if the members of the church aren't really committed to Jesus, then all we have is, is another try a bit harder, a, another ethics course, so again, the foundation, repentance. If I turn, say, God, I need you. My sin's serious business, but Jesus is great. I need to be humbled. He needs to be exalted, right? John the Baptist, right? That we need to decrease. Jesus needs to increase every day. That's repentance. From there, we said, do we have an understanding of what we're doing on Sundays? Not the church is a place for performance and politics and dysfunction, as we have many examples of that, but a church is a place of strength, building each other up in love encourage each one or you know each other so we come back every sunday and we recalibrate that's right jesus is king and i'm on mission and that's what really matters that's the true north that's what we're about here say wouldn't it be wonderful that we had that feeling about the church a place of courage and strength and love and we can delight in one another that's the idea a body working properly you notice verse 16 say in a way that's kind of the theme of the whole that, that a body that's working properly building itself up in love again not a new testament seminar not a place for performance not a corporation but a family building itself up in christ from there we went last week you remember to personal devotions that if the idea is to mature in jesus to really know him to use the biblical language then it's going to take a lot more than 60 minutes or 65 minutes a week but god in his kindness has given us his word and we all have multiple copies of his word and god promises he says when my people read my word with an expectation by aid of his holy spirit that he will make wise our simple thoughts that it really is, right, personal devotions, not just, oh, I got to do this, but it really becomes what we said, a, a means of grace, a channel to flood the mind and the heart of the believer uh, with real steadfastness and real knowledge and real wisdom and really practical ways of navigating in a complex world. So that's the idea. We can't, we got to each member of the body taking uh, their faith seriously, spending time with God. It will preserve our unity and it will help us to navigate and complete the task, the task that he has for us. So today we then come to 
the third pillar, or the fourth in the series, and we're going to talk about small groups. Now, how, how do we get to s- small groups from Ephesians 4? And here, sorry, sorry. Uh, Ephesians 4, how do we get there? You'll notice that the kinds of things the church is doing in the Bible, um, that they're really, uh, these people know each other well. That the commands given to the church family uh, express something beyond just uh, just Sunday morning. So the famous passage we read in Acts 2, right? They're, they're eating meals together. They're praying together. Uh, they're caring for one another. So bold heading number one, to use again 4.16, Ephesians 4.16, a properly working church, a church that's functioning well, that's doing what Jesus wants us to do, a properly functioning church cares for one another. That we really do care and love one another. So what happens is when a church grows, as our church is growing, and we have two services, when a church grows, people can feel disconnected. That it's possible in a church, much larger churches than ours, that some people think that it's possible, and actually maybe in some minds beneficial, to be anonymous at church. And I would argue today that there's a great incongruity there that would be very sad to think, well, I, I'm, you know, participating in this covenant people of God we call Providence, and really I'm anonymous, I don't know anybody, I come at 1035, well, by the way, Shaw doesn't start till 1035 anyways, but, uh, you know, I come at 1035, and I leave, uh, you know, 1125, and that's it, you know, you got the 50 minutes, and I don't want anybody to know my name, and I certainly don't want them to know anything about me. That very American mentality, I hope you see, is very, very different from the presentation of the church that we get everywhere in the Bible. Look at our, you know, our own chapter, right? That we're to be humble towards one another, gentle, to bear, uh, bear one another in love, or at the end of the chapter, be kind to one another, forgiving one another, being tender-hearted to one another. That I think this is best captured, this notion of care, is best captured in the one another's of the Bible. Have you heard that saying, the one another's? The one another's are all the times they do this with one another. And you can catalog them. Good assignment for this week. Google the one another's of the New Testament. And you'll see them all laid out there. So things like this. Forgive one another. Confess your sins to one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. Bear each other's burdens. Now, and again, I don't, I've not earned the relational capital with you, but things like greet one another with a holy kiss. You say, if we do that, Dr. Fauci will really have me. Uh, but you say that kind of thing. You, uh, you go through those, and what do all those entail? Y- you actually have to really know the people of the church. If we have the mentality where I'm going to come five minutes late, and I'm going to leave five minutes early, and I hope nobody know- knows even my name, I'm just, h- how is it even possible? Wh- when could I possibly even have the, the need or the opportunity to forgive or carry another person's burden. Say, we even got the police officer now, so there's no, no road rage out there. Say, we're really cleaning up uh, the opportunity to have an altercation on Sundays. But you get the, say, re- really the image is a family doing life together, honoring one another, sharing each other's burdens, and we can't actually do this fully on Sunday mornings that what we see in the New Testament, again, is the church family doing life together outside of Sundays. And what you can call community groups or small groups or mini churches, we call them small groups, but you get the idea that we can meet with one another during the week to care for one another. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You say, I I don't need that. 
I got a lot of responsibility. And the last thing I need to do is hear about other people's problems with their kids or their problems at work or the relational problems. Say, I, I don't need that. Uh, you know, I, I, just, I just toughen up. And what I would say to that, that that mentality works until it's you. <laughs> at least that's been the case with me. Until you're the one that's like, you know what? I'm in over my head. And things aren't so good. And I wish there was somebody who would really care for me and help me carry the weight. Don't you think, as it has been classically, that everyone in our assembly, there should be a very obvious, a very obvious and I hope exciting answer to that kind of predicament, right? Well, it's the church. Of course it's the church. We're, we're a That's exactly where you turn to to carry these burdens and to bear with one another and to help each other out. You know, got permission to tell this story. I, I'm, I always am in awe in the providence of God, as I hope you are. And uh, so Friday night with some friends from the congregation and uh, having a meal together and uh, really enjoying uh, life at their home. And I'm getting, there's great anticipation because there's, uh, the dessert is coming and I'm, I'm quite prolific in that area. And I always look forward to that. And um, it's really raining on Friday night. I'm sure some of you know. So Avon Lake, Bay Village, there's a lot of water up there Friday night. And uh, right there at the end of the meal, you hear a little bit of a gurgling, you know, gurgling sound there, and the kitchen didn't sound good. So downstairs uh, we go, and there's water in the basement. And uh, so we promptly get to work, you know, moving the stuff out of the basement, and the carpet's got to come up, the pad's got to come out. But here's the point of the story. About 8, 8, 8.30 Friday night, the host calls somebody to help. That guy promptly comes on over with his tools, gets down in there real messy, and helps his brother out. And might surprise, I'm not a great manual laborer, but anyway, let's just say that he helped a lot. And of course, that this gentleman was from his small group. And you say, well, that's the idea we're driving at here. You got a jam 9 o'clock on a Friday night. Statistically speaking, most Americans, they don't know who to call. They've got no close bonds. Their social network really is uh, reduced to staring at a glowing rectangle, which is why I'm adamant about physical Bibles, but I digress, I digress. That's a, no. So who do you call in that kind of jam? I'd like to think, well, wait, there's a, there's a properly functioning church family, and I'm a member, and I have intimate, dare I say, intimate relationships with people, and I can call on them at all hours of the day, knowing they're going to help me carry my burden and get through it. And I must say that the host family, the ha family it happened to, handled it wonderfully in a Christian way, and the person who came to help did so cheerfully, and it was a very good example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. The properly working church cares for one another. We carry each other's burdens. We encourage each other. We forgive each other. We work through things together. That's the idea. So again, what is a small group, if I could define it? A small group is a group of about 10 to 20 uh, people uh, of the church, right? A subset of the church that's going to meet with some regularity. So it could be weekly, could be bi-weekly, usually through the academic year with some socials in the summer, that they meet, and it's Christ-centered fellowship, growth, and care. And the small group leaders, the many church leaders, will function as pastors as the church grows. And in those small groups, we replicate leadership 
uh, for more and more responsibility at the church. You notice verse 12, right? It's exactly what verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians 4 say. God gives those who notice have really preaching offices. Apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherd teachers, probably one office there because of the article. So in other words, those who preach the word of God, their primary task is to give away the ministry, to equip the people under his care so that they may serve others. And I will argue uh, with you, I'm trying to make the case that the primary arena in which that happens is the mini-church meeting throughout the week, caring for one another, building each other up in faith. So the small group becomes uh, really a vital part of what we're trying to do as a church family. And by the way, this notion of sharing life together, if I can pivot for a moment, you say, how do you make the, you know, you tie in the bowstring between the Bible and the culture. You say, you want to talk about a comparative advantage? You look at some of the loneliness statistics of young people scientific american uh, article about 10 months ago why are young americans so lonely staggering constant tread over recent years as to how lonely we are well more connected than ever and more lonely than ever say wouldn't it be great if the church right here, you say, we got, we got house churches that are caring for one another and listening to one another and loving one another. You say, you talk about a, a possibility for the church in 2021. It's in these small groups and the way that we function. You know, maybe you're not a Christian today. I'm a, every week we have people who aren't Christians here. They're thinking through this. I'm glad we love, love having you. Say, maybe you're, you're in that article. You say, actually, I'm, very lonely i'm in a dark place maybe you've gone a step further to say that dark place is actually the consequence of my sin and my rebellion against god and my refusal to come to my creator on his terms which is jesus and i pray today that right now the spirit of god's working on your heart and you'd say lord lord jesus i need you and this fact of a properly functioning church that would love well in christ is the way forward in these times and today's the day. we got to get this right. A properly functioning church cares for one another. One final word is uh, you can t tell that I'm struggling uh, to uh, balance between being uh, practical and biblical, which is always the challenge. But here, some of us too, you're thinking, well, I, you know, I've got so much on my plate. Let's not confuse form and function. That the Bible's very, there's a lot of latitude on what we'd call forum as long as we get the function right. So the function of the small group is that we uh, care for one another, that we have Christ-centered fellowship, that we pray for one another, right? Nobody's anonymous in the church. That's the function. The forum, uh, I would say, we can be flexible on. So, I give you, so the Thursday night young professionals group that I've announced, I would say really is, is a small group. You have a subset of the church family coming together in fellowship, centered on the word, investing in one another. That's a small group. The way, in, in, in many ways, the, the way that the worship team operates, right? As the team is built, they come together, they rehearse on Thursday night. There's always a devotional. They get to know each other really well. So instead of thinking, well, how am I going to do a small group on top of all this other stuff? To think rather, am I in a subset of the church family where the cares are met and where we're doing the one another's of the Bible? That's the idea. A properly functioning church cares for one another. May no one in Providence Church be anonymous. Okay, bold heading number two. Related to this, let's not underestimate hospitality as a Christian virtue. 
You'll notice it all throughout. You look at the qualifications for elder. Very interesting, right? Qualification for elder in a church, a leader in a church should be hospitable. You remember our communal reading today, Romans chapter 12, that last little line, and do so with hospitality. I debated this week whether or not to, uh, to uh, put all the times in the New Testament that talked about the church meeting in houses, but I ended up doing it, cataloging it there, so the house was the obvious place where uh, the church um, moved in the early days, that it was a place of evangelism, it was certainly a place of edification, it was a place of refuge, that the early Christians knew that their house was an important component of how they built one another up. Now, thinking about this, we really need a, a, theology, um, a theology of the home. That many of us have been blessed with very good homes. How do we think about it? So you learn very early in grade school of the basic needs of life, uh, food and water and shelter, don't you? Say, shelter's a basic need of life that I need to have a roof over my head. And you say, well, isn't that the case? Shouldn't I be really thinking about my home as a gift from God where he's providing for a basic need? That I don't think so much as my house as God's house, and he's allowed me to live in it and to use it for his glory. You know, say, so why is hospitality so important? By the way, the ancient, ancient world, very, very big on hospitality. You say, you get into something like Homer's Odyssey, you say that this notion of hospitality runs right through. It's a very, very important virtue, and here's why. When you invite people into your home, you're vulnerable. You're saying to them, I trust you with uh, the very center of my life. That I, I welcome you, you can come in, I trust you with all of my stuff, with my family, and in return then the guest, right, the guest-host relationship, the guest proves trustworthy. This is why it's so important then, so important now. You know, Mallory and I, we did, we did college ministry for years, college young adult ministry, nine years. And, you know, a few times we've tried to do it at the church, and, uh, you know, you just throw, hey, you know, you go on campus of Baldwin Wallace, you say, come over, you know, come to the church, this is the address of the church, you know, when I said, well, I used the, you know, the building, the church building, and uh, what happened is, we said, this isn't working, we moved it into our home. He said, you meet a young person, and you invite them to your home, have a meal together, say, pretty good chance they'll come. And you can be intimate and vulnerable and talk about the real things of life. And you know what we found? Some of you say, well, I don't know. It's just another thing to do to get my home in order. What we found, actually, is that the more our, our kids kind of did whatever they wanted, the more toys that were around, the more people on the floor and crowded it. In, in other words, in a way, the, the kind of less polished it was, the better it seemed to go. Because it was real life in a home. I guess what I'm saying is hospitality. Don't underestimate the value of hospitality in the world in which we live, to view our homes uh, not just as our homes, but arenas in which God can be magnified as good gifts from him to advance his kingdom. One more illustration. Can you hand? I'm sorry, I forgot it down there. So um, years ago, uh, when I was an undergraduate student um, at, at Oxford, you wait for your tutor outside the, the, the tutor's door. And so you spend a lot of time waiting for your tutor until he feels like meeting with you. So I'm out there, and I'm looking at my Christian ethics tutor door. I spend a lot of time, and there's a very strange picture, very strange picture on his door. It almost looks like a, I can only describe it as a pagan gargoyle. 
uh, is what it looked like to me. I'm like, this is a very odd symbol for a Christian ethics tutor to have on his door. So about four weeks in, I finally had the courage to ask him. I said, you know, I have to ask you, what, what is that image that you have on your door? And he said, well, it's an image of the Durham Cathedral knocker. So Durham Cathedral, Durham, England, there's a big famous knocker. And he said, the reason why I have that on my door is because back in medieval times that no matter who was in trouble running from the law because of their faith, uh, in those days in England, you know, it's serious business to be what they called then uh, an evangelical or an enthusiast or that. So the Durham Cathedral knocker then said, if you knock on the door of the cathedral, that there was asylum inside. That that was the medieval equivalent to well, you say, what do young people say now? What do they long for, interestingly? A safe space. Say you could come in, and there'd be refuge from the law to talk, because it was inside the church. So what we did, and Mallory's not allowed me to put, this is a replica of the Durham uh, Cathedral knocker. I've not gotten it on the door. Ten years of marriage. You think, poor lady, poor lady. This is what <laughs> But I am allowed to keep it right inside the door. And there's a picture, too, right inside the doors. Because it reminds me, it says, do I view my house as kind of, you know, my place? Or is it a place that God's entrusted, God's entrusted me with my house? And it's a very valuable tool in building unity with other people because I'm vulnerable and it can be a place of trust. That is it a place where we can really talk about the real things of life. Of course, the most real thing in all the world is what God has done in Jesus. So I'd encourage you to, you know, just think about this, to say what's one thing God's given our church family? Actually, nice places to live. Am I using my house to his glory? And is this a real advantage in the world in which we find ourselves? Now, some here, just final, very practical. Some are saying, you know, I really, and I've, you, you'll meet people that have this mentality, say, why are we still doing big church then? I mean, house churches seem to be the way to go. You can really practice the one another's. So let's just disband, you know, why, why do we have this big building that needs to be maintained? Let's just go to all house churches, which, you know, in, in some countries, that's a necessity, and, you know, maybe that, that one day will be the way we need to go. That day is not today. So the question becomes, though, why not do that? And I would say this, that house churches... Um, are always going to face uh, the logistical problem of being capped, right? That you can only have so many families uh, in your house before you reach maximum capacity. So here comes a new family. They have four kids. Say, that's great, but you have another family with four kids, and all of a sudden you say, we've got no more room. How are we going to organize? You say, it longs for something like a central organization. Moreover, we can say uh, that any small church that I know is a part of a small church network. In other words, they want to go around and meet other people from house churches, which again entails that they come together on occasion. And uh, moreover, we would say that the large group gathering is a way for God to be maximally magnified by his people in an area in all of its diversity. So I would challenge you to say, look at, just look at what the early church did, something like Acts 2.46. It's not an either or. It's not a Sunday morning or during the week, but it's Sunday mornings and doing life together during the week. And day by day, attending the temple together, public place of worship, and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. You see that? They meet together, the whole covenant people of God, in the public arena, building each other up, giving glory to God, encouraging one another, and throughout the week, sharing life together in a smaller format, using their homes to magnify Jesus' name. Friends, the real point here today, right? You're a Christian, you've been coming. Is there any space in our American minds to be anonymous and the member of a church? I hope, I hope you see that 
that's a really strange place to be that we don't want to be anonymous in the church we want to care for one another you can't know everyone equally but you can know some really really well and over time i bet you'll know a lot really really well may we be a properly working church that cares for another one another a church that recognizes that even our very homes are gifts from God to be used for his glory, a place where we can trust one another, a place where he will bind us together, right, in one body. One body, as Ephesians says. So those things being said, very practically now, Pastor Joe will be outside in the lobby, say, I would really like to at least think about getting involved in a small group. Just if you give Pastor Joe your name and the area in which you live, usually our small groups are based uh, geographically. They need not be ge geographically, but to ease your way in to say, we really would like to know other people. We really want to do this kind of care, and we really want to get this right. That's the next step today. So pillar number three, that we care for one another in many churches throughout the week and replicate leadership. So I'll pray as the team comes up. Father, we do read the one another's of Scripture. There are many one another's thinking about bearing burdens and forgiving, confessing our sins. I mean, confessing sins to other people in this room. It could, could it possibly be? How are we going to get there? Lord, help us to get a vision of the value of the mini-church. Pods of people meeting around you, listening, praying, studying your word more in depth. And Lord, only by your Spirit will you really uh, tie us together as brothers and sisters? And that is our prayer, that you would really, as Ephesians 4 said, that there's one body knitted together, building each other up in love. Say, we're not going to get there in our fleshly impulses, looking out for ourselves, but rather by how you work in us and motivate us. And Lord, help us not to be shy about this kind of thing, because it is, it is a great advantage that the church would have when there's so many lonely people. That there, that people are feeling very isolated these days, can we get this right? Can we be a body that really cares, building each other up in love for Christ's sake? In his name we pray, amen.